Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that Apple, Spotify, Acast. Today I'm speaking to Ria Walsh, who's the interim CEO of Boardmatch, about her career journey to date and to talk about how to successfully recruit board members for your charity. Ria, you're very welcome. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your career journey to date? Thanks, Jeremy, and thanks for having me. I'm delighted with the invite. Yeah, I'm the current CEO of Boardmatch Ireland. I started my career as a solicitor in general practice. I then moved in-house and I suppose that's where my love of governance grew. I love processes and procedures. I think they make the world tick and I'm very proud of the fact that I led the governance reform process at the Football Association of Ireland. So since I've left there I've started my own governance uh, practice and I'm doing that in conjunction with my role at Boardmatch. So a lot of the time I feel that governance is deemed a nuisance, a burden, something that you shouldn't be doing. Whereas it really should be looked at the opposite way that if you have your governance right then your company or your not-for-profit or your charity will run quite smoothly and governance is not something that you're going to have to worry about in the future. At the moment, people only worry about governance when something has gone wrong. What I'm passionate about is bringing governance back before things go wrong, because then things won't go wrong if you get your governance right. Absolutely, and I think yeah, I think it's the mindset. If you see it as something that you have to comply with, that's the wrong mindset. I think it's how do we run our organisation to the best possible effect so we can achieve what we set out to. If we can get approach that, this is something that's going to improve, make us better, and make, make it easier. Absolutely, and it really helps you achieve your strategic objectives. I think if you have the proper process and procedures such as risk management... It really highlights the dangers of not succeeding with your strategy, that you can highlight them early and either tweak something or tweak your strategy itself. Um, It can be so beneficial to all organisations. You you might tell us a bit about Boardmatch and um, the services that they provide. I'm sure a lot of people are already aware of Boardmatch, but just just for those that may not know too much about Boardmatch. I hadn't actually known a huge amount about Boardmatch myself until about two or three years ago. When I left the FAI, I decided I wanted to join a board. So I applied to their premium service, um, really professional service. It's a recruitment service. I went through the process and I got placed on a really good board. So I was interested in them from then. So I saw the job advertised, applied, and I've been there since January of this year. And I've really enjoyed learning about all of their different services. But the main purpose really is to match individuals interested in volunteering on a not-for-profit board with the right board for them and that's the main process you do it through our free matching website which is a great you know free service for charities who may not have the funding to go to a recruiter they have the free matching website there if they're looking for maybe a bespoke service they can use the premium search again we charge for it but we charge a lot less than you would go to a corporate recruiter for so they're the main services we also do training on top of that and we also work with some corporates in allowing their management teams to find the boards for them very good, and it's, it's a critical service. When we look at the sector, people forget there's nearly about 11,500 charities. There's 76,000 trustees or board members, so it's a big number. So every year there are a number of people stepping off, and there is um, that challenge. And it's something that I hear when I'm out speaking to charities, and one of the things that they say, and I saw a recent stat from a survey that the charity regulator did, that four in every ten find the whole challenge of recruitment very difficult. They find it difficult 
to find the replacement for people that are stepping off or to find that people are staying too long on the board and they would like to be better at that whole process you know of recruiting so what would your advice be to them yeah this is a really difficult thing for charities especially when you have board members that have been there for a number of years they may have started the charity they're really passionate about it and it's really hard to give over the reins so again it comes back to governance you have term limits within your constitution so that there's a constant churn of board members the question then is how do you get them i would say you start with doing a skills audit of your board and see what skills that you need on your board to put forward or proceed with your strategic objectives So that may be finance, it may be legal, it may be marketing, but you need to identify what the skills are that you need to begin with. I would then say that you really need to promote your charity. If you're passionate about your charity, you know the good work that it does. So create a role spec that really sells your charity and tells somebody what you do and that the charity is passionate about their work. You then have a really specific role specification for the person so they know exactly what they're getting into. And I think if you do that, you can manage your succession planning quite well so you're not immediately pushing people off the board you're retaining them because you also don't want to lose the I suppose the experience or the knowledge of the charity immediately so you're introducing if you succession plan right you can introduce board members gradually and again that gives the people that have been on the board a long time trust in the people that they're handing over to have the right mindset and will continue the work of the charity and keep it going the way it's been started. It needs to be seen as a continuous process. It isn't a one-off every two, three years. We need to look around, oh, Mary and John are going to be stepping off the board next June. What do we do? Completely. And by doing that, you'll actually get better people because you'll have a very clear mind of what you what you want you can then do, you know, use our, I promote our services. You can either use our free website or you can come and get the more bespoke premium service and we will assist you in getting the right people from your board. And again, it's not the first person that puts up their hand necessarily that's going to be the right person for your charity. So interview a few people. There's, thou- there's over a thousand candidates looking for to go on a board on the board match website at the moment. We also have then on premium search our network of people that we would go out to. So there's plenty of skilled people and passionate people out there to go on boards. So plan early, put the time into it. And if you put the time into it, you'll get the right people. One thing when I'm talking to charities, they forget that it is a competitive process. You're not the only one out there looking for the right board member, the right skill set that you particularly needs. So what sort of things can they do to sort of make sure that they put the best foot forward? You you, you mentioned passion. Is there other things that they need to do to convey that come to my organisation because? I suppose clarity of exactly what they're looking for. Um, So the more organised they seem, the better calibre of person they will get. You have to remember that trustees are giving up their voluntary free time. They may have a very busy work life they may have a very busy family life but they want to give back so they want clarity on what is expected of them so if you're looking for a specific role well what am I going to be doing when I do that role how many hours are you expecting me to contribute to the charity or not-for-profit on a monthly basis and the clearer you can be with people and upfront and honest because what you need may not suit everybody so if you're open honest clear on what you want you'll get that reciprocated tenfold and you will get the right person for your charity. You're at the centre of all this. So so you have people that are looking for people to go on boards and you have people that are interested in going on boards. Sticking with the the, the charities now, they're looking for new board members to recruit new board members. What are the sort of common pitfalls and mistakes that you you see charities making time and time again in, in that whole process of going out there looking for the right candidate? It really goes back to the succession planning piece and knowing what they want. So planning their recruitment um, 
and I know this was spoken about by Roisin on another podcast recently, but it, it really resonated. It's about being very clear. We are going to advertise. We're going to be very clear on our role spec. Once we advertise, we put a deadline in place. We then respond to the people that have applied for the role, whether it's a thank you, but no thank you, whether it's yes, we'd love to interview or we don't have space now, but we, we really interested in your CV. Can we keep it on file? Communication, I think, is key. People want to give back, but they only want to give back where it's appreciated and where they get a response. So a lot of the time in board match, we find that candidates who advertise that the fact that they're looking for a charity on our website or that they apply directly to charities don't hear back from them. And you're kicking yourself as a charity by doing that. You really need to communicate with candidates. And whether it's a yes or a no, at least you've communicated and people know where they are. The worst thing for somebody is applying for a charity that they really want, not hearing back and not applying for any other charities in the meantime because they're holding out hope for this charity to come back to them. So what I would say is be very clear on your process and have deadlines and stick to those deadlines and make sure that you communicate with people. Absolutely. And like we learned ourselves that we needed to be much more sharper on our process because in previous campaigns, we left it to the board to manage. And you forget the boards are volunteers, they're busy. And having somebody to project manage, and it is a project, to project manage, as you say, getting the dates, getting the clear. So the people that are going to be, the board members that are going to be involved in doing the interviews or, or screening, that they're managed. That they're, So they're busy schedules, they say, this is happening. Because I, I've seen before people come to me and said, look, I, I contacted Charity X and sent in and I've heard nothing or we said we must arrange an interview and well when and then so and I said well yeah well it does give a bad impression and if you're looking trying to get the right candidates you're getting off on the wrong foot if if it was me I'd say well do I really want to be in this charity that sort of bit flippant about how to go about recruiting the other thing that I notice is is sometimes I forget about communications but it's the wider communications if I'm looking at a particular charity things I will look at beyond the spec is their website I'll look at their annual report because I have a big thing with annual reports but I will look at the annual report so I think that needs to be factored in when you are looking to go out in what is a competitive market you do need to think about from the other side what are they going to look at they're putting their reputation on the line by joining your organization absolutely and people are risk averse like a lot of the people that we work with particularly within the corporate sector they're working for big corporates like Deloitte like KPMG and they're risk averse they want a charity that is clean and crisp uh, is compliant with the charities governance code and one that they can rely on that it's not going to be um i suppose a a reputational issue down the road so if charities can be upfront open honest they have a really good as you say annual report that tells their story because that's what your annual report is it's your opportunity once a year to tell your story use case studies make it colorful it just shouldn't be about the the accounts and this is what we earned this is what we spent no you're saying this is what our charity does this is the difference that our charity has made to the people our service users this year this is our strategic plan and this is what we're going to do next year and people get an idea from that as to where they can help within the charity and what how their skill set will improve and help the charity towards their strategic objective. It's putting a bit of colour into your story, you know, because financial statements are very, very important and you require them under law or you require them under the regulator or your funders, but they are 
important, but they need a bit of colour. So that, that narrative around that the trustees, the, the, their story about what we're doing is very important. And another one, we, we, we use board match all the time and we've had great success with it and we recently completed the campaign. But something that I hadn't realised, but it made sense when that happened, one of the candidates that we who's on our board now worked for an international professional services fair and but he had to get clearance from the US to say, I've been asked to join this board are you happy with it? Because that goes back to the whole the, the whole risk management thing. From then they said, well, reputation risk for that individual, but also for for the for, for the organisation. So that really said, yeah, there is a rigour on the other side as well that we may not fully appreciate from our side. And we would recommend the candidates do their due diligence. Absolutely, that they check, you know, the CRO website, that they check with the charities regulators website. Is the charity compliant with the governance code? Has the charity got directors and officers insurance? All of that good stuff, look at their annual report, look at their accounts. How are the accounts? They don't need to be, you know, they don't need to have huge reserves, but it helps if they at least have some reserves and a reserve policy. And all of that goes towards the research that candidates and that we actively encourage candidates to do. We have a lot of resources on our website for candidates when they are being matched up with a charity, particularly when they're using the free website because we don't vet the charities there it really is up to the candidate to do so um, less so on the premium side we do have a questionnaire that we send out to the um, the charities and we ask a number of due diligence questions but on the free website side it's really up to candidates to do their due diligence and a lot of them do and charities need to be aware that this is what's done and they need to as you say have their house in order in terms of their website their compliance obligations everything or that's why I feel that a lot of charities, if they're not successful, it comes down to the due, them not passing due diligence and the communication piece that I've spoken right. about. Yeah, it is, it's important to have that right, to look, that, you, that you are serious about what you're doing and that you're serious about governance compliance. I know sometimes that board matches ask to help organisations that have gone through a governance failure or a governance difficulty. Is your approach different in that in terms of trying to get... Because you're asking somebody to come into somewhere that might be high profile, may not be as high profile, but there are issues there. Yes, so that would normally go through our premium service. So we would be very clear on what we would expect of them. So have you a plan in place to get your compliance back in order? Do you have all of the things that we would expect you to have in place? And then we would be very clear with the candidates this is you know a charity that has had issues in the past they are working to remedy those issues we would ensure that the candidates meet with members of the board of the charity before they agree to go forward with it so that they're very clear on what they're going into because again it's a reputational issue for board match if we're putting people on boards that aren't compliant with what they need to be or that their governance is not up to what it should be because really the aim of board match is to create boards with better better governed boards so we don't want to put candidates on board where there are going to be reputational issues. Now, there's always a risk. We can never cut out risk altogether, but we would do as much due diligence as we possibly could before going to find the candidates. And once we have found the candidates, give them as much information about the charity as we could, but insist that they do meet with the charity and be very clear on what they're getting into. Yeah, and there's only so much that you can do in terms of the screening. And it reminds me of somebody came to me that was on the point of accepting a board position. And um, he said, I'm a little bit uneasy about some of the answers I'm getting to questions. What should I do? And I said, well, one 
direct question is that are they in any engagement with the charity regulator or any governance issues um, and if so what are they a whole flood of stuff came out and the man was shocked and horrified and said well when, why didn't you tell me this and they said oh we thought if you knew he wouldn't come near us and that's the completely wrong attitude of a charity I say you know people get in trouble board members are human the same as everybody else mistakes are always made but if you try to cover them up it's unfair to the person coming on your board to expect that from them in the first place but it's also unfair to the charity itself because the board members you know if they take the job or the role and they discover that as soon as they get in they're gone immediately whereas if you're upfront and honest and you explain how the situation came to be what you're doing to remedy the situation and your plans for the future you're much more inclined to get somebody and why you might need somebody with this person's skills and they said i know now that there's a job of work to do to put proper systems in place and that's that's the going in position rather than suddenly going in and suddenly oh what have i let myself into and this person's, their role said, my professional reputation is at stake here. I could have been caught up in a major controversy without knowing. So again, due diligence and it is on both parties need to be do, do the due diligence. Board match only can do so much. They would not be aware there would be correspondence between no, the regulator and the... No, we can ask the questions, but if we don't get honest responses from the charities, um, there's not much we can do. But we can ask the questions, Dermot, but if the charity doesn't respond to us openly and honestly we have very little way of finding out what the issues are but it has happened we have thankfully discovered it a few on a few occasions before the person joined the board and in some cases the person may not want to join the board but they may want to be involved maybe on a pro bono basis in getting them back to an even keel and no issues with the regulator but they don't want to put maybe their reputation on the line by being an actual board member and charities are very appreciative of that but they have to be honest at the get-go yeah and i suppose it's important to just to state that we're talking about the exceptions most most uh, boards are, are upfront and honest and and, and well run and reasonably well run so um you know it, it is on those those exceptions that do happen that, that tend to get amplified but it's important if you are recruiting to be upfront and, and honest with with um, your your candidates, um, so that's important. Moving on, um, another thing I hear, um, or is sometimes put in the criticisms about that there's a there's a sameness around the, the various boards that the makeup of the boards are very similar. What can charities do to but improve the whole area of board diversity? This is a hugely topical piece and. It is something that a lot of boards are concerned with. I suppose from board matches point of view, what we've seen in the last few years in terms of gender balance is that it's pretty much 50-50 females and males going on the boards that we match up with. So then you have to look at the other types of diversities, people from different ethnic backgrounds, different religions, etc. So we actually teamed up this year with The Wheel and we ran the Future Board Leaders Programme, which has been hugely successful. We were way oversubscribed by both participants looking to go on boards and offer their diversity and their other skills, but also from the charity sector, charities applying to take part in the programme themselves. So I believe we will run another programme next year, given the success of this one. And again, it was people from all walks of life. And I think the charities, we've placed over half of the people that have applied so far, which has been great. And I do think it is something that charities are thinking more and more of. So you no longer want to see the, I think I heard on a previous podcast of your own, um, pale, male and stale. That's gone now. Boards do want diversity. So it's going out and again, being clear on what they're looking for. And being open-minded to what they want or to to the people that actually apply for their roles you know somebody maybe on paper mightn't look like they would suit your charity but maybe if you meet them and you interview them they could be the best thing that ever happened to your charity because I think different perspectives 
improve the work of boards and the governance of boards. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it does need a focus. As you said, there's been great success on the gender diversity, and that was because there was a particular focus on it, and people said consciously, so we do need to bear that in mind. But I think it's the other areas of diversity that may be trickier, and I think that the, the programme you just mentioned, that the Future future Board Leader programme, is something that helps because how do we get the other ones? Or, you know, Because you hear some board members, well, will they have the skill sets or will they fit in or all of those sort of biases that come to the fore and say well let's be more open to this because you know boards haven't collapsed they've been enriched because we have a better gender balance and the same will apply in in, in other things that will get a a wider range of views and perspectives that will help the decision making absolutely and i think what the future board leaders program has shown us that there are a huge amount of people interested in going on boards, be that young people, people from different ethnic backgrounds, people with disabilities. We got everybody. So anybody that maybe wasn't successful in getting on the programme because it really was a pilot and we had limited spaces, they're now either applying on our website for different roles, they're attending our speed dating event. It's really been eye-opening about the amount of people from diverse backgrounds that actually want to contribute to boards. And what we're finding as well is that a lot of boards are looking for people with lived experience. So if we're working with a homeless charity they want someone that has maybe lived experience of maybe being homeless themselves or being related to somebody that experienced homeless and they have the experience of that to bring to the charity board looking at disability charities they want people with lived experience of the disability again either have a disability themselves or a sibling or a spouse with a disability and they bring that really broad range of experience to the board and are a voice on the board for the particular disability or background and it's fantastic to see and I think boards will really really benefit from it going forward that you don't just have the same people sitting around the table with the same ideas and you know nothing changes and a charity can't move forward so I think Bringing a bit of a diversity onto your boards is fantastic and it really works for charities that have embraced it. We've been focusing up to now really on the, the charities going out looking for, for their new board members. But from the perspective of people, and, and we did have touched on the field with the Future, future Leader Programme, but if I'm interested in becoming a board member, what sort of things should I do to sort of improve, enhance my chances of get, getting the right board for me? I suppose the first thing is to look at your CV see what your skill set is, but also look at maybe what training you might need. So do you know the roles and responsibilities of a trustee? Because there are legal statutory obligations and responsibilities that can be quite onerous if you don't know them. Another thing is, remember that you have a lot to give back and really try and find a charity that interests you that piques your interest that you think you know I'd love to make a difference there and don't just pick the first charity that you see on a website or anything really dig deep and see what it is you're interested in where do you want to make the difference and apply to charities like those but also maybe look at a wild card or two maybe a charity that you've never heard of a smaller charity that's starting up maybe take a chance on that but it's really about doing your research doing your due diligence and having a belief in yourself and the skills that you can offer. I had a conversation yesterday evening with a good friend of mine. She's a teacher. And she goes, oh, I'd love to be on a board, but I don't know what I'd bring. And I said, well, you've worked in desk schools for the last number of years. You have dealt with children that maybe don't have it as lucky as my children do. And you could really bring that to a charity that works in certain areas and she kind of stopped and thought about it and was like oh yeah you're right and I was telling her about a particular vacancy we have at the moment I said I think you'd be great for it she said oh well I've worked in that area maybe not and I said no you need to stop think what's best for you have a look on the website we have loads of stuff you know register your interest and things but I think believe in yourself 
is is a thing for a lot of people. They think that they don't have maybe the skills or they're not old enough or from the, from a different background. Everybody has something to offer to a board in some way, shape or form. So believe in yourself, hone your CV and apply to the right charity for you. Absolutely. And I would add, and I've been asked for advice, is you need to have some sort of resonance with the charity and the charity purpose. That's something you say, yeah, I can see what they're doing, I can relate to that. I may not have any direct experience, but what they're doing, I would like to help. There's so many charities out there, and that was one of the things when I came into Sector First was the, the diversity. Almost everything I talk about human life, there's a charity around that. So there is plenty of choice. And go back to that. The charities also need to understand that there's choice there. So we did our speed dating event there recently and we had 47 charities in the room and nearly 100 candidates. And I spoke to a lot of the charities, really enjoyed it. And what resonated most with me was they were so shocked by the calibre of people that had come into the room to meet with them and potentially go on their boards. So have the belief in your charity as well. And there are fantastic people out there just looking to give back. And if you can sell your charity and you have everything in place that we've spoken about previously in the podcast, you'll get some fantastic people. Moving on to board match itself, what is your focus? Because you've been very, very busy um, in 2023. What's what's in store for 2024 for board match? 2023 has been a very busy year, a bit of a bumper year. We hit our 4,000 match since our creation, which is a huge milestone for us. Over a thousand of those have been in the last three years, which shows the growth of board match over the last three years. So we've been resourcing up a bit this year. We should have 10 employees by the end of the year. So it's really about betting everybody in, getting our voice out there, making sure that more charities know about the service because what we're finding is that maybe 60% of our business is repeat business, which is absolutely fantastic and we're so grateful for the loyalty shown. But as you said, the huge number of charities out there at the moment and we would like to work with all of them. So basically the future is continuing to service the clients that we do have and bringing new clients in and growing the service. There's something for everybody, no matter what size, in, in terms of board match, that free service, there's a different candidates from a range of backgrounds and skills that are available. There's 11,500 charities, probably not every one of them has engaged, which you are aware. And you're working it, as you say, like you know, the success hitting 4,000 matches is, is, is a major milestone. And you'll find that 5,000 will come a qu- lot quicker than it took to get to the, the first few thousand. Um, and, and I've been involved in governance for quite some while, but now specifically looking at the support system for governance in your role in board match. What additional supports or policy changes would you like to see in the, the support system for charities? I'd love to see some funding ring fenced for governance for a charity to be able to say to their board, we have X amount of money per year that has to be spent on governance. So be that making sure that they're compliant with the governance code, so getting their policies and procedures in place. And then once that has been done, that they continue to upskill their trustees so they take part in annual training and trustees are fully aware of their roles and responsibilities. And because I think a lot of the time, particularly maybe in smaller charities, the role between the CEO and maybe the chairperson or the board itself can be a bit fuzzy. So you you do need to have a delegation of responsibilities or a schedule of reserved matters. And the board really should be looking at strategy and pushing the charity on and, and ensuring its growth. So I'd love to see government put a pot aside, ring-fenced for governance that it's given to a charity, but they have to spend it on governance.
We've covered an awful lot on the whole business of finding the right board member or finding the right charity for people to go on board. This is my wrap-up question I ask all my guests, and it's, it's the, the magic wand question, uh, Maria. So for you, what would be your top three wishes for the charity sector in five years' time? The first one is obviously going back to that ring-fence funding for governance. I really do think it's really, really important, particularly when it's the government that have brought in all of these compliance requirements. And I, I think the cl- compliance requirements are absolutely fantastic, and they're going to prevent a lot of scandals that have previously happened from reoccurring. I also think that as part of the governance code, you have to have a strategy. And in order to have a strategy, a long-term strategy, you need to know where your funding is coming from. So again, multi-annual grants to charities so they can plan their three years in advance, say, and not have to worry about, well, where are we going to get the funding to achieve that strategic objective? My third thing relates to employment within the charitable sector, I suppose, and it's the overheads and the staff costs. I would really like to see parity with the corporate sector. Now, that may be a pipe dream. I hope it's not. But we have a huge amount of good people within the charity sector that are having to leave because of the pay. They can't afford to pay their mortgages, etc. And they're getting offered much higher pay levels in the private sector. Whereas these people are coming into the charity sector, they're increasing income in the charities. So they should be paid commensurately. And I would love to see that. And and that not be a dirty word, that people living in the charity sector can afford to live make the difference that they do continue to do the good work but also be able to afford to live and to stay employed within the charity sector that's fantastic i concur with them Ria this has been fantastic so thank you very much for your time and, and being on this podcast with us thanks Jeremy. i really enjoyed it thank you for listening to our latest carmichael governance podcast we hope you enjoyed it if you did it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts so until the next time, Slán Gafol.